Welcome to the Sport Media and Tech Podcast. On today's episode, we talk with Asaf Nevo about how his organization got its start and how currently they're helping brands get personal with their fans and knowing when the best time is to engage with them through social media. Stay tuned to learn more. I'd like to introduce you, uh, Asaf Nevo uh, from Pico. How are you doing, Asaf? Hey, how are you guys doing? I'm well. Doing so, great. Doing great. <laughs> we also have Mark Hotchkin and, uh, you know, the three of us today are going to dive into engaging with fans uh, online, remotely, and through digital media, especially through social media. So, Asaf, uh, you know, your background is really interesting. It's very entrepreneurial. Um, so I'd like to start just by asking you if you could share a little bit about how you got your start and where the idea for uh, Pico came from. Oh, sure. It's a great question. And actually, um, it's a pretty interesting story. I'll try to keep it short. Um, so I'm like, I'm, I'm 36 now. And I started my entrepreneurial journey when I was 23. And my first entrepreneurial, uh, the first stop in my entrepreneurial journey was uh, me and one of the co-founders of Pico, we established a very big pub, a bar in our hometown in Haifa, Israel, where still Pico's headquarters is located. Actually, Pico's headquarters is right around the corner of the same pub we used to have. Um, the incentive for that was that we were really excited about building businesses. And we're still, 15 years later, we're still excited about building stuff. Uh, that's our number one um, incentive for everything we do. But we also wanted to really feel how it is to be business owners and, and how does it actually work and succeed. And then eight years later, um, we kind of like got bored from running the bar, then we were looking for new adventures. And the idea of Pico, the initial idea of Pico came up. It was 2013, uh, maybe the beginning of 2014. Uh, and we said that we must create a photo sharing app because when I got married, we saw so many people taking pictures of me and my wife. And we said, hey, we wanna have this great content in our phones. Uh, 2013s, it's hard to imagine, but it's a year without Instagram. No selfies, no duck faces. Still, none of these still exist, a simpler world. Um, and we uh, built a great photo sharing app. It worked pretty well. But then Facebook acquired Instagram and nobody cares about us anymore. So we had to decide whether we shut down or we pivot. And we decided to pivot. Actually, as a, as a, trivia, a trivia note, I would say that Pico is initial for picture collector because this was our very initial, um, initial thought of, of what we want to do. Uh, along the way, it took us a while to find the right market fit and the right pivot, but the very basic idea was that we want to provide businesses with the ability to really understand what their attendees or audience is doing, and by understanding that, to be able to create a better experience for them. And as, as although Pico now is a bit different, I would say this is the main foundation of, of what we came up with. And along the way, we find the right market fit and build the right technology and, and establish the company around that. But to be really transparent, the very initial thought and, and um, incentive for, for Pico was to, to understand the fans or the audience and to create a better experience. With uh, the pub was, first of all, a very good business school. And that's something people not always understand because running a bar is one of the toughest thing from a business standpoint that you could actually do. It's a very closed market. There's like 1% up and down every year in the entire market size. 
So there's no really, there's no really place for, for innovation or for new ideas because the market is very closed. Um, and it's very complicated to manage because you have employees and, and inventory and all that, uh, cash flow and all that. So I think from a business standpoint, this set up the ground for us to be able to run a, a bigger business like Pico, who deals you know, with uh, lots of investments and lots of customers and big customers. It gave us the, uh, the ground for managing a big operation. Um, the incentive, I think, was less, uh, I keep saying incentive, that's maybe not the right word, but the, the inspiration for starting Pico was not necessarily from watching people watch sport as much as it was something that we felt technologically. I think that's, that's a problem we try to solve many times in different ways of we don't really know the people who are coming to the bar. Like the bar was big. It has like 250 seats every cycle. In, in weekends, we could have two, three, four cycles every night. You see the people, they're getting in, they're buying beers, we're saying hi, we know, some of them we know more, some of them we don't know at all. But at the end, you have lots of customers that you have no idea who they are. And I think this was the first understanding, even if we didn't understand it back then, but this was the first thing that really bothered us because during the life cycle of the bar, we, we did develop some, some simple technology that would allow us to understand who those people are better. And I think that experience really shines now when we're doing pretty much the same thing for sports teams. Different technology, different processes, different industry, but, but the core fundamental is, is pretty much similar. So it's definitely, looking back, it's definitely a pretty well, well settled uh, path. We just didn't know that back then. <laughs> like we didn't know that's, that's where it's gonna end. So I think it's all connected. When someone's hearing the story from the outside, they sometimes don't understand how the dots connect, but they do because for us as, as being inside of this, we learn, we grew, we took the experiences we have and we replicated inside, inside different, uh, different needs and different problems. Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting how you pivoted and, and, and saw that opportunity to help teams and, and, and leagues and organizations really identify their fans and start categorizing them into uh, different demographics through their actions on social media. So I'm curious, Asaf, how, how do you take those categorizations and activate um, them, or how do you identify them to activate with, uh, with the data that you're recording? So first of all, it's less about the demographic as much as it is about finding ways to engage with fans on a personal level. So through this engagement, we can actually learn what you as a fan has as unique preferences. Because the end result, the vision of Pico, is to make sure that every time you engage with the team, whether it's on Facebook, on Twitter, or whether you call uh, you know, the customer service, or whether you're now engaged uh, through a sponsorship activation, we wanna make sure the team, know, the team knows who you are. And when they're knowing who you are, then they can start and make sure that the content that you're exposed to is the content you actually care about. And then when you're receiving offers or for merchandise, for tickets, for seasonal tickets, whatever, first of all, you're relevant. And second of all, that you would actually wanna get them because you know, we don't wanna make the fans are happy or to spam them. Just as an example, if you are now, I'm in Israel and I'm a fan of the 76ers, probably I'm not the best one to receive a newsletter about uh, that I should buy tickets for tomorrow's game, right? Assuming that there, at some point we'll have regular games. Um, and, and this information just does not exist in sports. Actually, it doesn't exist in many other industries. But I think in sports, the gap between, um, I would say, 
there's maybe two gaps. The first gap is how many people teams actually have in their database, which is mostly contained transactional information, meaning that if you end up buying a ticket, we know who you are because we have your email address and we're now gonna send you the newsletter. Um, compared to how many people actually following teams. And, and when you're looking at the big clubs, the, you know, the NBA, the NFL, in Germany, the Bundesliga, the Premier League in the UK, you see clubs that have, you know, half a million people in the database, a million people in the database maybe, but 30 million people following them across you know, the fan base, it's 30 million. So if you're comparing 1 million to 30 million or half a million to 30 million, that's like 98% of fans you didn't even know. And I'm not even talking about demographics. You don't know who they are. You have no idea anything about them. You don't own any data about them. And then, and that's the, that's the first gap. The second gap is that teams are spending so much on engaging with fans. You know, every pro team now has a Facebook channel, a Twitter channel, a website, an app, a TikTok channel, maybe if they're advanced. They might have a WeChat or a, uh, or a Lime, Lime channel if they're working in Asia. They have all these. They have a call center, they have email blast, they have text messaging. I counted almost 10 without even, even trying. And at the end of the day, they could engage, again, the content team, the marketing team could engage with 30 million fans, but then the CRM department, the sponsorship team, the sales team, the merchandise team, they would only be able to engage with those half a million people that are in the database. The gap of different departments that does not communicate with each other and does not sit on the same data set and does not even think that when you're posting something over Facebook, you can learn who this person who just liked your post is. You can get his information and you can then understand how to retarget them. And I don't mean retargeting in a, in a bad way of you know, showing ads. I mean retargeting in making sure that they're receiving the content and the offer that, are, that matters for them. That's something teams just don't have these days. And that's what we're helping them solve. Yeah. You know, Asaf, it's, it's, it's really interesting as you share all of the data that's available through social media, but the lack of data that teams have to activate on. And, you know, something that you said really stood out and it's around sponsorship. So in terms of sponsorship activations, the value, especially right now without fans in the stands, the value for sponsors is going to be activating digitally. So I think of, you know, a previous uh, company I worked with, uh, it's called Insurance Office of America. They work with over 30 sport teams. Um, they sell and have built, um, you know, while I was there now have grown it tremendously since my time um, after a personalized agency. Now they partner with these sport teams, but how much more of an advantage would it be to a sports team to be able to say to a company like theirs, we can deliver content to our audience when we know these fans not only are fans of our team but they're looking at car dealership websites they're looking at um you know new cars on facebook or things so it's it's delivering that message of being the official sponsor or the official insurer of that team at the right time not just not just delivering the message broadly but targeted at the right time in a custom way to the right people so add up add up to what you said if if you're also adding a nation additional layer Currently, sponsors are usually paying for receiving eyes on, on screen or eyes on billboard. That's what's happening in stadiums. We are saying a good sponsor, a digital sponsor who understands how the digital space actually works would, would come in and ask for seeing traction. So it's not only about how many messages you're delivering in the right context. If you're an insurance company, we, we need to help you sell more insurances. 
And this is a KPI that is not being measured now. If you're Papa Jones and you're selling pizzas and you're sponsoring a team, we, and that's, that's our, our job as Pico, and our job is to help teams to get there, we need to understand how we use the data we have and how we know who's engaging with us during the game to make sure that they're buying pizzas. Because at the end of the day, there is a value, a brand awareness value. As, as the world progresses to digital space, I think the brand awareness thing is getting a bit, it, it shrinks all the time. But at the end, when, when Papa Jones need to choose between spending a you know, million dollar on digital channels or spending a million dollar with a team, we wanna make sure that the ROI of the team is gonna be higher. So that's a new, a new way of thinking of sponsorships. And, and that's what we try to bring into the table using data. We try, we try to make the teams and help the team understand that they need to be more digital. They need to think more like Amazon and more like Google and more like Facebook. Again, not in the, not in the um, arguable things Facebook and, and Google are doing, more in the, you have a lot of traction. You have a lot of engagement. And everything you do is you're keeping trying to get more engagement. You're spending so much on getting more engagement. And, and you're, you're kind of like position this as a goal. The goal is not engagement. The goal is about performing using the engagement. So the new KPI we're bringing to the table, we call it engagement performance. How much does the engagement you have actually performed? What does it actually bring? What's the business objective that it helps solve? If, if there is, unfortunately, a lot of team don't think that way. So we are helping them and we're educating them the potential and what could happen and how this could change an entire organization from being very, um, making decision based on hunches, moving to make, making decision based on what the fans actually needs. Um, but I'm happy to say that, you know, that's where the market goes. I think all the bigger, the bigger player, uh, especially in Europe, you know, the FC Barcelona, the, um, the Bundesliga team, the teams, the, the Chelsea clubs and these size of clubs, they already identify that you're not measured by the number of followers you have on Instagram or TikTok. You're measured by, by how many of them you actually know, because that's where the, that's where the challenge is really is, beside on court, of course. Yeah, you know, we used to talk a lot about it in the space, um, things called vanity metrics, you know, where it's just yeah. like, oh, I can get some cheap likes. And, you know, it, it almost seems like now the smart organizations are treating most of these things like vanity metrics. Like if, you, if you're just really trying to get a bunch of eyeballs on a tweet or a bunch of retweets with a, you know, witty line or something that you're doing, you're really, you know, like it's, I think the smart organizations are going, well, then what's next, right? Like, so, so how do you take, how do you use your tools and how do you help organizations take that step? You know, um, and I've used your product um, with some of your NHL partners. And uh, so I've kind of lived it a little bit, but it, it, please kind of share what, um, what, what's in the toolbox of getting that fan who might check out a, a Facebook page and like a post. How do you get them then into the club or the organization's uh, ecosystem? That's a great question, and, and I have to say that this evolves all the time. So as we grow, uh, we keep building the tool sets for every part of the organization, but the very core of what we do and one of our core values is that the first step here is that we are engaging with fans and we're continuing engagement with fans on the channels the team already have and they're activating well. So we will not, you know, if you're now launching a new, a smaller team with a new Facebook page, we're probably not gonna be the solution that you need. You need to have a solid fan base. You need to have engagement. 
the whole idea around Pico is to leverage this engagement and to ride the wave. So the core value here is that we are connecting to every channel the teams have, the team has, sorry. Um, and we don't ask fans to download an app and we don't ask fans to change the way they behave. We're just saying at the first step, we create activations and these activations are fun. These are places where, where fans could actually have a seat at the table. We sometimes ask fans for who do you think is going to score the first goal. Um, during COVID-19, many teams uses us to ask fans what their favorite uh, stay home t-shirt is going to look like. So fans has a way to, to become active in front of the team instead of passively consuming content. So we're creating these activations. These activations are being promoted on the different channels. So the same activation could happen on Facebook using Facebook Messenger, on Twitter using Twitter DM, on the website, on the app, on text messages. It could come, it could be promoted on Instagram, anywhere. Um, then fans starting to play. They're getting into this game. Um, and this game have many shapes and there's many different type of games or gamification features. It's not always a game, but it, it's a gamified process. And during this process, we're doing two things. First of all, we let the fans understand that everything that is happening during this game is going to be stored and measured and, and saved, stored about them. So we want to be very transparent with them. We also explain that none of the data is being sold to third parties. Everything is staying inside the team's ecosystem, but they need to know that if they're playing, we want to be very transparent. It's going to be used in order to provide you a better personalized experience. So you have, as a fan, you have the choice of staying, you know, completely anonymous or, or dive in. The second part here is that during the activation, we ask fans important questions, things that are, are, are actually matters to the club. It could be, uh, who is your favorite player? It could be how many times you attended games, what's your email address, what's your phone number? This is, depends on what type of uh, ERP or CRM system they're working with. That's how we connect the data at the end. Um, and then again, every interaction is being stored. Every click you click on a, on a link or every, uh, every answer you choose is being stored and being analyzed by our technology. And our technology take all this into considerations, measure all the, all the different interactions and then create labels on fans. And the technology could come up and say, this fan is interested, could be interested in last minute tickets. This one could be interested in merchandise. And we, again, it's a process. It's not happening on one time, but every interaction with a fan, we're learning more about them and we're building more and more labels about them. So at the end of the day, when you're coming to our platform or to your systems, if we are integrated inside and you want to say, I now want to do a text blast, a text messages blast, or I want to send an email blast, or I just want to reach out back to you at the channel that you engage with me, let's say Facebook Messenger for that matter, a smart team would use the segmentation we have and decide which message to send to which fan according to the segmentations we have. Some teams prefer to do a blast and that's okay. But, but if, you are, if you are understand the, the value of data, you would push out the relevant messages to the relevant fans. And when you do that, the numbers are huge, are, are, are crazy. The click rates are crazy. The conversion rates are crazy. The satisfaction level of fans is crazy. Fans are happy to receive things that they're interested in compared to just seeing you know, the regular newsletter. Um, so I would say this is our core. And as we grow, we are building and, and we are exposed to more and more um, gaps inside the industry. We're building more and more tools to, to solve these gaps. For example, like, like I mentioned, there's not a lot of communication between content guys and data people 
or salespeople inside the organization. And our vision and our goal is to make sure that the data we bring from the content people is also gonna be easily exposed to salesperson and to sponsorship people and to CRM people. Um, so we have a set of tools which creates integrations into their Microsoft Dynamics and into their SAP, um, into you know, Salesforce, whatever, whatever system they're working, they can easily integrate us inside. We're now building tools for content teams because for us, content is really important. We wanna make sure that the content we're posting for our teams is, is super engaging so we can actually ride the wave. The, the more engaging the content is, the easier it's for us to understand who the fans are and the numbers are higher. So we are providing content tools that integrates with, you know, if they use Hootsuite or whatever, we can integrate over there, but also to provide our unique value propositions of understanding automatically what's the content that is supposed to be posted in the next two weeks and which of these content is good for us to activate on. So we are making everybody's life easier in this process um, to make sure they are running activations, learning who the fans are, and then reach out back to, to make them more happy with whatever business objective they have. Yeah, there's some, some great stuff in there. And, and two of the things that kind of stand out to me um, when you're talking about this is, one, you understand you want to <clears throat> go to where the fans are. You know, you're not trying to, to bring them someplace that they're not going to be naturally. And I think yeah. you know, it's important for a lot of reasons. But one, um, it ties into uh, kind of the value proposition you mentioned is there's so many distractions right now and fans have so many places to go. They have so many alternatives as they're following a game, as they're watching a game, you know, the, the level of expectation on, uh, from the fan side is, is rising all the time. And I think organizations really need to, to, to understand that, that, you know, what, what was a great post and what was great activation even 18 months ago, you know, it now is much easier to just kind of brush aside um, you know, so I think it's, uh, you know, it goes into the message, but it also, um, you know, if you can get them to engage with something where they are in a natural way, where it doesn't feel like they're signing up for a newsletter communication, it's much more, you know, gamified, as you said. So um, a lot yeah. of great stuff to unpack there. You know, you, you talk about uh, how to, you know, categorize fans and, you know, something that comes to mind from the corporate world when you talk about, you know, things at Google or Amazon or, 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 you know, just companies that are leveraging data are successful with is something called net promoter score. And it's, you know, the, the question that a lot of corporations ask is how likely are you to recommend this brand to a friend or family member? And we all know friends and family members are the most likely that are going to take our opinion seriously. And so, you know, when I, I think about what you're, the tool that you're providing is that you're providing a mechanism where they can really create, you know, a fan uh, promoter score or understand how likely those fans are to turn other people into fans of their team. And they can focus on empowering and activating the people that are going to go out there and find new people to, uh, to bring into the organization um, and really grow their database uh, through invitations. You know, something that um, you know, Mark and I have worked on in, in the world of ticketing is that it's that virality of sharing an event, right? And yeah. so when you know the people that are most likely to get excited about it, that's a huge advantage. Um, so the next question I have for you is, so we're, we're working with uh, a graduate class of students uh, this fall that are going to be coming up with their own startup ideas uh, to, uh, you know, to use machine learning and to activate mm -hmm. in the industry as there's all this disruption happening right now. So I'm curious, how do you, without giving away your secret, you know, your secret sauce, 
how do you leverage machine learning uh, to mine through this data that you have? And, and what have you learned by doing that? So we are using, we're using artificial intelligence and machine learning in mostly two places in our core value. The first one is on labeling fans. So we, like I said, we measure everything they do and we store all the interactions and then uh, the algorithms are making um, decisions or making labels based on the interactions and how we classify different interactions. In sports, although it's a very rich world with lots of content and lots of things, when you go down and you kind of like tackle everything, it's pretty closed. So a fan could interact only on, on numbers, some of, of different things. And the combination of those creates some sort of uh, X amount of combinations possible. And that's how you can make an algorithm trained and understand how to connect the different dots and make different decisions. Um, the second part of that is that when we are offering fans something and offer tickets, content or such, then uh, our, our technology decide what's gonna work best with which fans. So we're using the data we have in order to use the classification to know who to target. In, in a lot of ways, it's, it's somehow similar to the way in very, you know, uh, being very humble on, on, to Facebook. That, that's kind of like what Facebook is doing. Facebook is putting a lot of content in front of you, measures everything, measure everything you look at, measure everything you click, and then at the end, decide what to show you based on other interactions you have. So the process is somehow, somehow similar. I see that killed. Uh, uh. Yeah, he, he said his internet just went out of his house, but he'll, he should be able to get back on the phone. Um, and we're still recording, so okay. uh, we should be fine. Um, I'll go ahead with a, another question or two, see if you can get back on. But um, one of the biggest topics you know, in all of sports and really all of society right now is the, the ongoing uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Um, mm -hmm. I'm sure that's something you've dealt with a lot with, uh, with your partners. Um, so, you know, I'd love to hear a little bit about how your partners are adjusting, how your company is adjusting. And then, I mean, are, do you see this as, uh, do you see the changes being permanent, whether it's on how fans uh, interact with games or go to games or, or anything? I'm curious what you see kind of uh, has happened so far, is happening now, and then maybe may happen in the future. So, so for us, the... Um the COVID-19 really, really put a spotlight on what we do because our whole, our whole claim always was for a team that you can't really only rely on transactional data because it doesn't cover the entire fan base. And now uh, during the COVID, uh, the pandemic, there's no transactional data. So I would say during March and April, it was chaotic what happened with a lot of the team we, we work with and a lot of the new customers we brought in during this time because suddenly they didn't have any data about fans. They have no idea what to do with them. There's no content to create. It was a huge chaos. So from a business, I don't want to say advantage on a pandemic, but from a business standpoint, it was a, a, a good grind of opportunity for us to shine with our value, because that's what we always said. You need to understand how, or you need to understand what the digital engagement that you're having, that you're spending so much on, could actually drive for you. And, and we saw, uh, you know, a very wide openness from, from all clubs in all leagues globally. So nobody would now come and say, yeah, you know, first party data and third party data, it's not a priority now. Everybody understand that 
that they have invested too much to give someone else the data. And now they need to understand how to, how to actually uh, leverage that. Um, so for us, for us, it really, it really was uh, uh, an opportunity to shine. Um, I don't know what's going to happen next. Like, I don't know how the next season of the NBA and, and the NHL and even the NFL that is supposed to start and the CFL in Canada, I know they are all partners of ours. Um, they have tons of problems. I'm not sure how it's going to start. I definitely know that organizations that, underst that, that, that understand that fan bases are on digital and that they already invested in digital. So there's not a lot of more to invest. It's more about doing a small paradigm shift. It's not like we're, you now need to build this. You already built that. But now you just need to execute on what you already built um, because your focus is not, is not in the right place. Organizations that understand that are becoming stronger. I think everybody took a major hit. So it's still soon to see, you know, I believe there's going to be some ownership changes globally and there are going to be a lot of, lot of uh, administration changes like this. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that if you are if you are lean and you understand that you understand who are your friends and where your friends at, then that's, that's you're becoming a bit less effective, affected from, from these type of things. Yeah. You know, something we talk about, especially after COVID is, is using data and new technology to capitalize on that. And one of the things that is new technology that I think paired with what you're working on could be very successful is voice e-commerce. Um, could you share a little bit about what you've explored and maybe some of the thoughts that you have around voice e-commerce and, uh, and the data that you leverage on a daily basis? So honestly, I'm not a huge, uh, I'm a huge expert on how, you know, uh, uh, voice activations works in sports in terms of buying things. Like, I don't know how many people tell Alexa to buy them a cap at the online store. I, 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 do, I just don't have the data about it, so I, I'm not sure. But I definitely know that we have explored and we are doing things during this voice activation, whether it's Alexa or Google Home. Um, these are channels that are being very well adopted, uh, mostly in the United States. Um, we actually have Alexa in Israel, although I didn't really see lots of uh, use cases for it yet, mostly because Amazon is not that strong here yet. Um, but I definitely see on kind of like a second screen experience, especially with what we do. So you sit down home on your sofa, you're drinking beer, you don't have to stand up for a second or move. You can just say, you know, to Alexa, hey Alexa, um, I think this and this player is gonna score the first goal tonight. And Alexa, you know, transit this through our technology to the team. And then the team knows a bit more about you. And then when things comes and, and there is a good timing, they could reach out back to you and say, hey, you know, we know you like this and this player. Uh, here is his jersey in 20% discount because it's uh, Memorial Day or Christmas or whatever. Um, but but there is one very simple concept we try to keep in mind all the time when we try to replicate it across the different or across everything we do. But but it has to be simple for the fan. You can't make the fans do any effort. Any fans engaging with you on Facebook, text you know with text or or over Twitter with text. If they are now on the website, the experience need to be modified and, and proper for a website. And if you're now engaging through Alexa, it needs to be simple and for Alexa. So it's all, it's all about uh, using the same um, um, usability fans are used to. 
so they will not need to change anything. I think it's a very fundamental core of of engaging with fans. Yeah, it's a it's critical, and it's I think it's easily missed. People get a little too complicated in the act activations yeah. they want to have, and they forget that kind of like what we alluded to earlier that fans have a million other things on their phone that they could be doing or on their computer or yeah game or well um, that makes sense. Um, my last question is you know kind of similar to that, but what are the next kind of frontiers in this space that you're looking at? You know what are the what are the kind of macro trends? Again, don't have to give any, uh, you know, state secrets from your business, but anything that, you know, you think is going to be making a much bigger impact here in the next couple of years? Uh... It's a very good question because I think when you're looking at sport tech, you see different verticals. So taking away for a second from, from fan engagement or fan communication, that this is something we are heavily invested in. When you're looking at, uh, you know, building the perfect athlete, and, and creating measurements and, you know, the smart watches and the smart, uh, uh, the smart uh, strap you put and, and measure everything you do, the smart trainers and all that. I think this is super positive as the world, it's kind of like doing the same, doing the same um, disruption it, now doing on fan communication. It happened a few years ago on the, on the way um, you train athletes. Understanding that every athlete has its own KPIs, has, has its own metrics, has its own, you know, blood pressure and whatever, and it reacts differently and it needs different rest times. Like you don't have one size fits all. And, and I think the same trend going now to what we do in fan communications, you can't treat all the, the, the fans at the same way. You have to understand that these are unique individuals. And if and the, 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 I think the, the number one um, challenge in sports, and it's, it's actually a good one for the teams, but this is sometimes what keeping them back, is that fans are engaged by nature. You don't need to do a lot as a big team. You don't need to do a lot to make fans happy. You just need to have a three-pointer or a touchdown, you know, or a goal, and they're happy. And they will like your content and they will engage with you. You know, compared to other industries, if you're in the fashion industry or something else, you need to work hard to get traction. Here, you just, you just need to be okay at what you're playing. And, and fans are engaged. And I think this creates um, kind of like a deception of how fans are really are because you're so, so much, it's so easy for you to engage with them. Although you're creating a lot of content and the content is very high level and teams are very high level, but the fact that it's relatively easy sometimes create a, a barrier for them to understand that you can't treat all of them the same. So even if you look at email blasts, I think good teams have like 25, 30, 40% opening rates, which is, you know, that's like almost 40% more, 400% more than the entire industry, any other industry, but, but still it's only 40%. So, so there are sometimes there's like a, a vague on, on, on what's important and what's not because sports are, is very, very noisy. So I think I was getting to a point of saying like, Exactly like they understood on the athlete side that you can treat all athletes the same. Teams start to understand that fans are not reacting well when you're treating all of them the same. And I think that's the biggest trend we're going to see. And it reflects everything. You see this on the uh, video technologies, which allows you to see the replay and the angles that you're interested at. Not the thing that the, uh, you know, that the director of the, of the production decided that you need to see. So the, the, there are lots of solutions which are all based on the same fundamental core, which is different people consume sports and sports team differently. 
Same with athletes who are treating sports differently. So I think that's the biggest trend. On our side, uh, the biggest thing we are focused on is making teams' life easier and lots of automations and lots of taking away from their plates because teams are always understaffed, under budget, always in a rush. Um, and, and we think we need to make their life easier. As much as we are able to get their life easier, they're happier with our solutions and our products and we are able to help them do this paradigm shift. That was really well said. I, I really enjoyed the part uh, about the, the measurements of success between you know, the industry as a whole and then sport business. Something we talk about the students is making that transition. You know, is, is it easier to transition from a non-sport industry into sport or from sport into a non-sport industry? And there's, you know, there's learning points on both sides of that. And I think you, you captured that really well. Um, speaking about the students, uh, we've reached the end of our time and, and we have a tradition that we ask every guest to just look into the camera and share some words of advice uh, for our students as they uh, go out into their career. Oh, you tackled me with that. Um, I would say, at least for me, this is what worked for me. And just as a, as a side note, I, I went to university relatively old. So I already had a business that I built for many years and I was actually bored. So I said, okay, now it's the right time to finish my degree. Uh, so I think I started study when I was 28, maybe, or maybe 27. So I finished my degree when I was like 30 or 31 and Pico was already running. Um, so I would say, go out and try and build and fail. It's, I know it's a cliche, you need to fail. You need to fail because you need to learn what you're not doing right, but you also need to fail because you need to learn how to live with failures because it's part of the life. And sometimes when you are doing the, the route of you know, school and then college, or in Israel, you go to the army and then college, they always treat you to be the best. And I think, again, it's, it's more personal, but I think my biggest strength as an entrepreneur, that as a kid, I wasn't such a good student, and I was, and I think I was used to being used to fail. I wasn't a failure, but I used to fail. I didn't take failures that hard. And you need to go out and you need to, um, you know, make your hands dirty and you need to fail or succeed. If you can succeed on the first time, I'm on board, but usually you need to fail um, and you need to learn how to live with failures. And that's, I think, the, the most important thing on, on being an entrepreneur and building something and the excitement of building. But that's, I believe if you learn entrepreneurship, you already have it inside. Join us next episode when we talk media activations and operations with Tiffany Hollins from UFC, Lizzie Seedhouse of the USL, and Megan McLean with the Special Olympics 2022 here in Orlando.